drop. Hey there, everybody. My name is Christian Wynn, the director of Storyport. You're listening to Storyport Presents Voices of Treeport Music Fest, a weekly podcast that dives into the stories behind Boise's Festival of Discovery. Treeport Music Fest brings in hundreds of artists from all over the globe every March, though at this stage we are postponed to September 23rd through 27th, 2020, because of COVID 19. But we're here. We're still here to tell you about all things Treefort. Today, we're going to be hearing from three artists who we invited to our cool new safe summer reading series at the vast and beautiful Idaho Botanical Garden on the edge of Boise. We have Joel Wayne reading some fiction, Kay Lang reading some awesome poetry, and Heidi Cray leading from a really cool a theater project she's putting on, kind of about, very much about our certain particular zeitgeist right now and are, you know, troubled, often complicated, or let's say always complicated world, but they're all three really great, and so it's a live performance, and just um, be safe out there, as we are, we're doing well, um, and yeah, we're starting to, still trying to make art and do what we do, so here's some of it, enjoy. Yeah, we, we wanted to put this series on for, you know, a lot of the things that Tracy Lita said. There's not a lot going on, obviously, in our lives in this in this capacity. And we have the ability, I think, to do it out here safely and smartly and um, have some fun. And I can talk a little bit more about some of the COVID cultural commission awards that a couple of the artists tonight um, are going to be working on some pro- reading from projects they're working on based on that. We'll go into that in a sec. Kay is kind of, uh, I guess, CCC adjacent a little bit. There's a couple of cool things we can talk about after you do your reading um, that uh, are, are getting funded through that project too. So let me pull up my computer here. And I want to thank The Garden for hosting us and for collaborating with us and for being really thoughtful. I want to thank you all. Um, I want to thank the Tree Fort folks and the Story Fort folks. We have Allison Meyer who's taking some shots up front here and then Forrest and a couple of our other members are not able to make it today. But Kay is someone who's read for Story Fort several times, I feel like, two or three times at other events. And we really appreciated their work. And let me tell you a bit about them. So Kay Lang is a writer, teacher, and a UFO seeker from Boise, Idaho. Their work has appeared on stages across the nation, including the Tree Fort Music Festival, Helicon West, Ghosts and Projectors, and the National Poetry Slam. Their work can be found, also be found, in publications such as Sink Hollow, Ellipsis, and Ink and Nebula, in addition to their self-published collections, Moonache, Sugar Becoming, and Weird Grief, they can be found wherever the gin is cheapest. So, Kay, come on up. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm going to start out. I wanted to read some poems that I've been working on. Um, I took a shining to the poet Frank O'Hara, who was a poet in New York back in like the 50s and 60s and whatnot. And he writes these poems that generally people 
see as pretty pedestrian and like he's walking down the street um, and he's like, man, I could really go for a street pretzel right now. Also, have you ever considered the indomitable nature of love? And I really liked that. So I started writing letters as like in relation to his poetry, like using some of the forms that he uses. Um, and they're my favorite things that I've written in like years and years. I've submitted them to like 50 publishers. Everyone hates them. So you're going to hear them today. Uh, really fun for you. So these are my letters to Frank O'Hara. Oh, Frank O'Hara, I love you. Get up out of that grave of yours to share in this tragedy with me. You were only 40 when we lost your footsteps echo somewhere in New York. That whole hollow state can swallow a man. I know. I'm still in its belly. Even here on the stupid West Coast, remembering how different spring is when the rain has nothing to fleck itself off of or argue against, just catches on my eyelashes like a glass trauma, then I blink. It's gone. Is that what it felt like when the Jeep struck you in the dark? The same as the Idaho summer strikes me, both of us, and our ruptured livers and the ugly 23-year-old men who ran away with our chances. When you smoked too many cigarettes behind the museum, did you think of me? Did you know I would think of you? Did you think, yeah, these are gonna kill me one day? Are you glad you were wrong? Or just disappointed at the mirage of choice? I want to offer you the keys to my piano. I want to sit on the brow of a bridge and not say anything all afternoon. I want to write a poem for somebody I really love. I want to live forever. Oh, Frank O'Hara, I was not even an idea yet when I lost you. Oh, Frank O'Hara. How am I supposed to let go of anything? Everything that matters is under the skin in my fists. I want to be kinder and more free, or at least have time to sit in the park and know something about myself or anybody that can't be made a weapon later. Oh, Frank O'Hara, I know everyone thinks Armageddon is on its way just for them, but I really know it's true. I know a lot of things are true. For example, what it is to see a prism and what it is to be one and what it is to be kept out of the light so long you start to lose color. Once, when I was in Jamaica, I thought about drowning at an underground lake teeming with translucent fish. Their Armageddon had come already and they had no way of knowing. They had survived. Some things are best after they've been leached out. Quartered husk of an orange dripping onto the counter, the good part arrested in a glass. I imagine things differently now, brighter and sweeter, but people don't work that way. Frank O'Hara, we can't leave our pith behind. It's all we have. Oh, Frank O'Hara, dismantle me, brick by brick. Reform me into a softer god. I am here for the long time and the good time, so let's dance together. The rhapsody of transposing is a thrill to me. To be prismatic and aware of all impending dues, I can survive any climate. I have been communing with the ghosts in my home, in my heart. Even an apparition of Walt Whitman appears when I really need him. Oh, Frank O'Hara, yes, another glass. We know the past by its wine stains in the places we were left wanting more. Do you wonder, Frank O'Hara, how gravity works? Me too. I know there are so many forces beyond my control, but I like to believe somehow the tiny universe of a hair on my pillow is inertial. The push and pull of refilling and redefining the lines between us and the world and me and time and how there are all kinds of wives' tales for getting a spot out. Oh, Frank O'Hara, I am a dirty and beautiful harbinger of luck. Oh, Frank O'Hara, 
when I listen to Bridget Bardot, I feel more capable of loving myself. Home alone in lingerie, thinking of Paris and how I've never been. I make plans that slip through my fingers into the boring hollow of a bedroom. I think I will become a dancer again because I love to dance and also for the attention. I find it difficult to articulate my dissatisfaction with stillness and even I am prettier in chiffon. Do you think Bridget Bardot was happy? She was beautiful. Oh, Frank O'Hara, my last hope is that these are the same. Oh, Frank O'Hara, to cross straight against the light is to be cut in half by it. Vivisected with possible joy, I walk into traffic, cautiousless and faithful, hoping to hear that song I like so much again. Oh, Frank O'Hara, can you imagine being anything less than an artist or at least surrounded by them? I get nervous when it gets quiet. And art is an easy throatful of noise, like when the rain doesn't so much shower as it does spit at you anyway. I think about Matisse's reclining nude in the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, and I feel loved by it. And Shelley too, jailed for his misdesires and how well he captured them, splayed and reclining in stockings, red hair and natural disaster on the sheets, portrayed in sensual agony. Oh, Frank O'Hara, do you think anybody is going to love us like that? So those are some of my Frank O'Hara poems that no one likes. So I hope you didn't like them either. <laughs> so I've been writing those letters for almost a year and a half now. Um, and when I was working with them, I read like the full collected works of Frank O'Hara, which is like a beast of a book. And like I said, he's kind of this like pedestrian New York poet. But as I read more of his work, I was looking at how like he's creating dialogue with these like ancient Greek myths. And so I kind of like I'm very interested in turning someone from the 1950s into a myth. Um, but he was real and he was alive. Also things about Frank O'Hara. He died at the age of 40 when he was hit by a Jeep walking along the beach and his death was not really invested investigated very well because he was a gay man. So I feel like it's important to talk about Frank O'Hara. And I feel it's important to talk about those kinds of things, gender, sexuality. All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me uh, say some things. Another round of applause, please, for Kay Lang. The bummers were great. Thanks. The last one was awesome. <laughs> and um, yeah, Frank O'Hara pretty great we love you him should read his poetry if you haven't um mm -hmm. that's really cool but i'm surprised that people don't like it i don't know are there people don't like it. <laughs> it's like uh it's too poet referential but um maybe just a couple of questions for you you mentioned i don't know some struggles with writing in this the current state of the world yeah. um politically socially and of course health mm -hmm. wise <laughs> you know mm -hmm. here we are we're going to trade out your mic by the way between uh you and Joel, so give us a few minutes on that. But what have been the struggles or kind of maybe triumphs within it? So, yeah, I mean, I think that it's a weird time in history to exist. I always I keep saying, like, we are in the worst timeline. Um, and I saw a tweet that was like, I would like to exit the simulation now, if not sooner. Um, and I feel that kind of across the board all the time. Um, I think I mean, because there's there's kind of like a variety of things going on, obviously. But um as far as like the health thing, that's one thing I feel comfortable speaking on, um, which has been very strange. So um, I work with um, students in like a tutoring setting uh, and I was in New York doing some like training, like an educators conference, basically like the day before everything got shut down in New York forever. Um, and I was like on planes for a long time, which, as you know, now I really don't like. Um, 
and I was trying to write poems because that's what I've tried to do, read or write, whatever. But I couldn't. So I just called my mom and I was like, well, I'm on like I'm coming back to Boise, like I'm getting on the plane and it's crazy here. Like everything's shut down. People are very worried. It was the first time I'd been in a situation where like everyone was always wearing masks and running around. Um, and it was kind of like giving people weird looks when they weren't wearing masks or if you sat too close to them. And like I did not realize that that was what was going on because we had zero cases in Idaho at the time. And I remember calling my mom and her being like, well, like I'll try to go to the grocery store for you uh, when you get back. But like there's nothing really on the shelves right now. So that was like a really strange feeling. And it's something that I feel like I want to write about because it's this period of history that like and we know from like these awesome grants that we're giving artists to kind of document this time. I think it's really important for us to have an understanding of it. I just don't feel like I know what's going on yet. And like maybe I'm just a Pisces who like never (laughs) knows what's going on. But um, I think it takes a lot of time to like make sense of things. And I'm not there yet. I would agree. It's been difficult at times for sure. But it also we've had more time ostensibly to write Mm -hmm. more focus, ideally, you know, maybe on our our home lives and whatnot. So it's just as a weird sort of um, dichotomy that's, I think, worked really well for some writers I know, and then others who are struggling um, with just, you know, all the things. So um, maybe real quick, too, you can talk about the, let me get my glasses on here, the, the CCC Award that went to uh, an organization you kind of are kind of a group you work with a bit. Oh, yeah? I believe. Um, no. It is. Is that true? The Boise Spoken Word Collective. That's not me. But you were in their book. I know. Oh, that. yes. I so did work for them. You yeah. with them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've read for them before. They're a really great little grassroots organization um, of a couple of individuals who like I, I started working. I'm the program director for the slam scene, which is a competitive poetry reading. Right. And people win prizes and you go and you do competitions. They were a lot of people who had attended and then they created the space that was non-competitive where people could still kind of do whatever they wanted without like the fear of like, oh, no, am I going to win today? Um, so it's really yeah, they're really, really cool organization of some folks that okay. we used to work I wasn't with. Yeah. sure your extent, but I did notice that you were in their chat book yeah. from last go around. So mm-hmm. some great work as usual. But um, yeah, it's a lovely day out too. We got a little breeze going here. We have mm-hmm. lots of bugs. Um, and um, it, I, I have heard about those 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 fig wasps. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. is a pretty amazing way to, get you, to continue thriving as a uh, as a plant species, I guess, to have a yeah. little bug die inside you. But um, anyway, we're going to have Joel up here next. Um, Kay, thanks again so Thank very you. much. We'll just take a minute to kind of sanitize you things. Want me to sanitize it? Uh, we'll get it. Okay. But thank you so much. We do have wipes if you want any of that stuff, you know, and things. You can help yourself. But um, yeah, awesome job. Just to tell you about the series is a little bit, it's cool just to kick it off today. We're having three events on Saturdays at this time from uh, 12.30 till 2 or so. And there's sort of picnic pop-ups. The general admission fee is what uh, gets you into the whole garden. And then you can take advantage of this stuff, too. Um, so the next one's going to be on July 11th. And I'll tell you a little bit about the lineup towards the end. But uh, then we have three events on Tuesday nights, um, Tuesday evenings, I guess, 5.30 to 7, and those will start up on the 14th of July, which is Bastille Day, so, um, which is my favorite holiday, and so we, we could storm the Bastille over here, so anyway, let me get my computer and do uh, a little introduction of Joel. This feels so official. I know. It's a debate. We could have <laughs> How have you been, by the way? Good. Yeah. I don't know. Where? Is anybody like, oh, God, yeah, 100%. Why? What's going on? <laughs> what have you been doing? 
Uh, a lot of writing uh, lately. I think that's been a that's been definitely kind of a bomb for me. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're gonna read from this new project, right? Yeah. So you received a thousand dollars from the COVID Cultural Commission, um, as, right. as did the sixty-eight. In total, um, I don't know if you guys saw that, but about a month ago, it was um, is it basically a way of supporting and um, financially, you know, helping out creatives from around this area and other counties in the state too. And the CCC was basically project oriented. It was based on need and other other elements as well, but um, and also your CV and your your past publications and all that. But each creative um, had to pitch. And what was your pitch? Um, well, I write. Uh, I, I mostly write uh, fiction, short fiction, um, and s- some longer stuff, but a lot of flash fiction. And um, so, just kind of naturally, I was writing some stuff based upon this time that we're in right now. Um, at the time, early on, then it was really mostly about the pandemic, although although it's been a confluence of a of a lot of different things, but. Um, one of the things that's been interesting me during all of this has been going back to confluences, I guess, a confluence of agoraphobia and claustrophobia, the fear of being closed in and then the fear of going out at the same time. Um, and about how those aren't, I don't think those are mutually ex- exclusive things. And so that against a, a backdrop of, of kind of shared trauma, and I say shared, but I mean, we're all experiencing that in very, very different ways. So yeah, it's a, it's it's the confluence of those different things, I guess, and that's that was my my pitch about that. So writing a trio, I think it's going to be three stories uh, about that. Okay. Yeah. And are you reading from those today, or are these kind of I, somewhat uh, adjacent? Maybe these might be a jump-off point for those. Um, I I think these do fit in with that, uh, but I might uh, I might go kind of a different different direction. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll get off the stage in a second. Let me just <laughs> tell the people a little bit about uh, your stuff. Um, so Joel Wayne's fiction and nonfiction have appeared in the Chattahoochee Review, The Moth, and Salon, among other places. Uh, he's been honored with a fellowship in literature by the ICA. Um, a Silver Creek Writers Residency and the Lamar York Prize. Uh, Wayne produces the podcast You Know the Place for NPR, and you just explained your CCC project, so I'll just cut it off there and let you go to town. <laughs> Good deal. I feel weird wearing shorts, by the way, at a reading. That feels really. I'm really glad that you can't see through this thing. I was wearing pants, and then my my wife was like, "You're going to be way too hot," but. Um, I mean, honestly, I wish we're, we're outside right now. I wish I could take my shirt off, but that um, would make it even weirder. So these are sh- two uh, very short pieces, um, uh, about four pages a piece, so I don't think you'll lose interest. And, uh, and I don't think I should have to censor anything. And they also deal with, uh, they, they also have kind of a thematic piece uh, uh, throughout them with animals, which I don't, I don't know why that, that was the case, but that's the case with these. So, um, the first one is called the chicken coop affair. My youngest daughter was renting chickens a few summers back. This was a thing in the mid-sized Midwestern city where she'd stopped wandering long enough to decide this is it. They would deliver them right to your door, a gaggle of laying hens, heat lamp, and feed. Even the coop, wire and cheap wood outfitted with wheels on one side, rolled wherever you thought it fit best in your yard. I could picture it, 
Cup of single-origin coffee while gazing out the back window, doing your part, tending a sustainable plot of earth, harvesting beans in your bare feet, kids in tow, acoustic guitar and ghost stories in the evening. All the women on my daughter's Pinterest boards wanted farmhouse kitchens and penthouse baths. It didn't track. She had her house painted that same summer, candy apple red with creamy trim, barn shades on a split level from the 80s, but that's my daughter. How's she do? The owner foreman of the paint crew had a habit of smiling and saying, no problem, after anything she said, which her kids took to, to saying to her and then to me when we'd FaceTime. By the way, this is written in first person. It's not me. This, these are flash fiction pieces. Sometimes I feel like I have to mention that. It's not me. Thank you. There weren't many instructions to give, but she told him, yes, paint the shed the same colors, and no, don't paint the coop. It's a rental. No problem. Of course, she arrived home and took a lap around the house. Of course, she found the coop still wet, burning red and white. She called the owner and laid into him, or so she said, reminding him that she reminded him in the first place, and how in the hell did, did they paint it with the chicken still inside? He apologized, promised to investigate, called her back a few minutes later, though there was little to be done. Oh, <laughs> my guy said they really didn't like that, he said, laughing when she asked again about the chickens. Her next call was to the chicken rental place. Well, what color, the woman said. Red, with white trim. Hmm, she said. But they picked up the chickens and the coop a month or so later without any fuss, after a raccoon beheaded a hen and scattered the rest of her around the yard. My grandson went to pieces. They ought to be paying us, my daughter's husband said, emotional scarring and a free coat of paint. I don't think they'd see it that way, she said. One of the chickens was half red from the overspray. I asked my daughter if I could tell this, the chicken coop paint story. I'd been doing a remote happy hour with three of the women I used to work with as a dual credit specialist for the Education Service District. They were all younger than me, one by a good 40 years, just married. The other two remarried, me the only single one. It was a balm at first. Did I, I said balm up here. I have the same conversation when I'm writing, apparently. It was a balm at first during the stay-at-home order like opening all the windows after you've tried a recipe pinned by your older daughter, something that called for deep frying. Dandelion heads or panko-encrusted eggplant, and remember again why you don't deep fry things anymore. But then there were short stretches of silence, moments where I couldn't think of anything to add, sitting in a room by myself, grinning into an iPad screen, flute of soda water at my elbow. Jenny, champagne, you're so classy in retirement. Leaning into it, taking a sip and smiling, not correcting them. I wasn't one to doubt myself, but there was a feeling lately, an ache like the fear of death when I was younger, not long after I'd had my second child, lying in bed and thinking of nothing, of the vast emptiness of no thoughts, no interaction, no resolution, taking me further back to the terror I'd felt when I was just a girl the vision of eternal life of all things meant to be a reward doled out for those like us presbyterians my mother and father and everyone around the thanksgiving table saved by grace something about it inspired dread in me the idea of that which does not end 
But the latest fear was about my voice. Before all this, the lockdown, I had coffee with a friend. This was a woman I'd met through a memoir memoir, memoir writing workshop and instantly bonded with. She was about the same age as me, still married, no kids. She said she didn't regret the latter decision, though I hadn't asked, but I believed her. She did worry about someone being her representative, especially if her husband went before her, the way she was doing for her own mother, now in hospice. Guarding and amplifying the voice of someone she loved, someone who could hardly speak above a whisper, and when she did, it might be ignored. Because when you get older, and even I had experienced this at 66, the table tends to turn away from you, to nod and move along. That's a great point, I had said. Of course, having, to, having kids is no guarantee they'll do that for you. I said it quickly, meant to commiserate, to let her know that we weren't far apart the way you sometimes do with a new friend. It had stayed with me, though. I lived the nightmare of hearing my own voice, like the wet wheeze of a brewing coffee pot, no one catching it, no one even turning towards me anymore. And in this, in what felt like the end of the world, shut in the house, my circle already lopped from where it had been when I was younger, not hitchhiking like my youngest, but considering it, drinking my way through my 40s and 50s, I was unable to sleep again. No, <laughs> don't tell that story, my daughter said. I wouldn't have asked, but she could be hard to predict the places she'd lay down her foot. No pictures of her kids on social media, goofing when I told my friends what the company was paying her now. More than I'd ever made in two years combined, etc. I was glad I asked, then sad because I'd lost the rights to the story. The way she'd said it, adding that fake clipped laugh, I wondered if there was something else there, a detail I or maybe anyone hadn't heard out of even my closest circles. The lockdown continued and we skipped a week for a happy hour, then two. I talked to my daughter the night before the next one. I mentioned that summer again, the summer she'd had her house painted. Not the chickens, but because it was the same summer I had my gallbladder out and she'd come to visit and she told me about the chicken coop, chicken coop story and shown me the funny cooking show with Richard E. Grant, although I couldn't recall his name. Howie, she said. Howie, I said. He was the owner of the painting service, she said, the one who spray painted, who sprayed the chicken coop with the still, chicken still inside. Oh, I said, though it wasn't at all what I'd asked about. What's he up to? The other, the other end of the line was silent. I wished we had done a Zoom call so I could see her face. He actually just moved back up to Michigan to take care of his parents, she said, or that's what I heard. I felt a wash of liberation, slipping into a scalding bath, lovely pins in the skin. My youngest filled in some other bits of the story without saying much of anything, how she'd do. Good for him, I said, and then we moved on to something else. This next one, actually both of these, I, I realized, um, <laughs> these are kind of based upon stories that random people told us. Um, about about a chicken coop getting painted, and then I just kind of made a, a backstory up for it. And then this one too. Um, neither of the people are here, luckily. Otherwise, they'd be like, "That's I think that's the thing that happened to me." <laughs> so th th this is the the other one that we heard, um, which is which is very very different than the story we heard. But uh, and I made up a different backstory for it. But it's um it's called the sad fish man. I was thinking of the story the woman who used to own our house told us about her ex-husband leaving fish in the toilet. 
She had called us and offered to come by and talk about the place. It was before C and I had moved in when we were still painting, replacing door hardware, drinking too much beer, and eating takeout in the spaces between. By the way, this is also written first person. This is not the same first person as the other first person, nor is it actually me. Thank you. It was before C and I had moved in when we were still painting, replacing door hardware, drinking too much beer, and eating takeout in the spaces between, blaming it on a period of transition. We both had the feeling the visit was more for her than us, but she sounded harmless, so we agreed. She took us on a tour, though we'd already done that twice with the realtor. She doled out suggestions, like the realtor. I actually had the flood irrigation pipe replaced back here when the root balls kept clogging it up, she said as she stood in the backyard. I just had them cap it. Never used it, but you could probably still access it. Heck of a lot cheaper than city water. Oh, very nice, C said, though I knew neither of us knew what any of that meant. Back inside, in the doorway of the guest bathroom, one of only two rooms that hadn't been redone, she clarified. Shirley clicked her nails against the yellow tile countertop. Funny story, she started. She told us about her ex-husband stealing by this very house when she was at work. He'd let himself in the sliding patio door, which he still apparently had a key to, and slip a fish into the guest bathroom toilet, closing the lid before he left. Trout, salmon, salmon, mackerel, Sometimes the whole fish, sometimes just the body with the head on and the tail removed. Because it was the guest bathroom, she didn't find it, find the first until it began to smell a few days on. This went on for a few weeks, not every day, but enough that she began to suspect her husband and had the locks changed. The last fish she found on the map by the back porch, dry, scaly watermark where it smacked the glass, a red snapper. Not particularly, she said, when I asked if it had been a bad breakup, if I was allowed to ask. It was just stinking weird at first. But then he was leaving messages on my answering machine, and I figured it had to be him. Off the wagon again, probably. But stinking weird, right? We agreed it was stinking weird. Then we sat on the back porch and drank raspberry lemonade, hoping she would leave soon. She asked about C and I meeting and our wedding. She smiled and clicked her tongue and tilted her head, trying to com to commune, not too subtly, that she was okay with it, the two of us, one darker than the other. Added to the daily convulsions in the news. Two schlubby gays painting the hallways of her old house, removing wallpaper in the study, fighting and effing, F and F, over whether to tear out all the carpet, even in the bedrooms, though it was brand new. She reminded me of the people in the tiny towns I'd grown up in as an army brat, before my mother left my father before he could leave us, one way or another. Nine schools and a dozen churches in nine towns. Accepting and warm and constant people, but constant too in their support of bigger people and causes that were none of those things. C didn't notice, or shrugged and gave them a pass. He still called his mother once a week, though she didn't get it, didn't get us. Was the burden on us to explain it, to make her understand? But it nudged its way into our vernacular, this story. C pushing his nose into the side of my face in a hot springs, his first one. Smell of coffee and Irish cream on his mouth. I'd leave a fish in your toilet, he said, and I snorted. Then a week or six later... I'd leave a fish in his toilet, I said, or <laughs> I'd leave a fish in her toilet, I said, when Charlotte Riley appeared on our screen. I'd leave a fish in his toilet, she said, when Tom Hardy made his entrance. I'd leave a whole aquarium in his toilet. Lovely, tell me more. Shirley had come back one more time, nearly a year later. Doesn't that sound really dirty and there's nothing dirty about it? 
Surely it'd come back one more time, nearly a year later, to drop off the arm-length rod of metal with two teeth at its tip, triangle, handle at the other end. Swept up with her other tools, though she no longer needed it in her townhouse with the astroturf from the narrow side yard. It was for reaching down into the plastic box buried on the side of the house, turning on the water for the sprinklers she showed me from a distance of six feet. Oh, you've already got them turned on, she said. I nodded and accepted the gift, as if I'd been searching for the rod everywhere, as if C and I hadn't stared blankly at the park ranger across the street when he said the Japanese maple out front looked thirsty gifting him a loaf of bread when he turned the tap for us, and laughing as we promised another, same time next year. I stood with Shirley in the driveway, shifting weight from foot to foot, sea hiding inside. I knew, behind his monitors and pretending to work, both of us from home now, not nearly enough F and F lately. Dinner could wait. Whatever happened to the fish man, I said, your ex-husband? He drowned, Shirley told me, years ago. I was sorry to have brought it up. Oh, it's okay, she said before I could even apologize. She was try- He was trying to save a stranger from drowning in the river and then drowning himself after getting stuck under a drown- downed log, poking into the rapids. It was in the paper. And stinking, she said. The girl floated under a bunch of branches dangling into the water and grabbed one and pulled herself out. So she didn't even need help, really. Terrible, I said. Because what else do you say? I was thinking about all this as I perched in the guest bathroom, on the very toilet the tuna and mackerels had been dropped in. No longer swimming, too big to flush. That happened right in this house, I thought, and suddenly felt enthralled, as if I were sitting on the throne where King Ahasuerus had decreed that his wife shall give her husband honor before dividing her estate among more receptive women. Feeling spiteful and surly that she hadn't come when he'd called for her, king baby deprived of his milk i let myself drift it all happened right here in this house the sad fish man stepping through the sliding door unwrapping the cellophane package to slip a salmon into the bowl he considers before closing the plastic yellow lid that matches the yellow porcelain matching the yellow tile a pit stop maybe to dig through her hamper and nick a pair of his ex-wife's socks or undies before departing hating himself for still desiring that but he self-soothes, thinking she can't ignore it, or him, not this time. But she does. She moves on. Her life goes on, because it must. There's nothing for him but to do the same. The sad fish man goes to work, goes to the store, goes on dates. He drinks too much, just to iron out his nerves. The women across from him, reading the despair, smell it dripping out of him. Even so, he gets laid a few times, holds someone's attention for a month. It's thrilling for a moment, these wily curves and the brine of her sweat, the flash of a stranger at the end of his fingers. But unfamiliar, too. And the unfamiliarity makes him nostalgic, reaching instead for the same old friend when he feels that way. Whiskey, thank God. Whiskey, fish man. Whiskey until he wets the bed. Then, one day, no different than any of the other blank days, the sad fish man stands at the edge of the river, smoking. And there she is. The girl gulping air and flailing, about to bump down the rapids, no one around but him. He backs out of his sandals, swimming towards her, he thinks. This is it, right now. The thing I was brought here for, it's all coming together. Paddling, legs kicking out for the rest of his life. An empty envelope slid under the door, the bathroom door, upside down, pencil scratches on the back. 
close enough to my foot to lean over and scoot it near enough to read. Take me on a walk or lose me forever, C had written. I snorted to let let him know that I'd seen it. He snorted back. I was about to say something when I heard him pad away to put on shoes and wait for me. Thanks. Oh, not done yet. All right. Just for a minute. All right. Sorry. That was fantastic, by the way. So thank you for the sad fishman. I really like the way you shifted that last spit into like his mindset through the character's mindset. Very well done. And he was a sad fish man. It was not his day <laughs> to go diving into the water. No. Um, yeah. Um, just real quick. So you also run a podcast or produce a podcast. You know the place. Yeah. How's that going? Are you able to go know any new places um, online? So we, we just finished with our fifth season. Um, it was a, a slightly shortened season. It was uh, eight episodes rather than ten. Um, and luckily we had basically all of them in the can before before the lockdown had happened uh we just didn't have we had all the raw audio in the can we just didn't have um uh we didn't have them edited yet or anything uh for the next season we're talking about um doing a road trip kind of and and going to a bunch of different random places we actually need suggestions because it's one of those things where um in Boise here in the Treasure Valley area, um, it's like we know where to go. We have a plenty of different things on the list, but it's like in Idaho, like other places, like where should we go? What sh- what what pass by places should we explore? So if any of you have suggestions, um, let me know. Okay. Yeah. And then um, yeah, there's a podcast about if you're not familiar with it about. It's about um, it's about the places that you always drive by but have probably never stopped into so it's um it is not um top 10 list type type of things it is not uh you know yelp um or the travel channel it's those places where people are like what the f did they even do there um what's blank for space who's been to blank for space by the way what is that no one see (laughs) i have not it's a clothing store. You wouldn't necessarily know that, but it's been around for probably 10 years up on Fairview. And it's called Blank for Space because that was the the um, name that the owner came up with in a dream. That's descriptive, that, isn't it? I was and the way the logo looks, the it looks like it says Blanky Space. So uh, oh, you might think it's something totally different. So, yeah. Um, well, thanks so much. I, we could talk about that stuff for a long time. I feel like that show um, and the kind of brand of your fiction as far as like, I don't want to use quirk but i will right now because that's the word that's on my on my tongue but it's like you can find so many cool offbeat people places out in the world it's like you did with a like adapting stories friends or strangers told you for these two pieces today so that's really cool that uh i imagine i won't ask you to get into it the legalities and whatnot but if you you know sort of any of these (laughs) they're different enough i don't think i'd probably run into any sort of issues um yeah but yes but listen to the podcast and um we're gonna get heidi cray up here in a second thanks again joel so much yeah so thanks everyone this is gorgeous this is great thanks for coming out so and thanks for your your poems so uh brett's gonna trade out the mic and sanitize for a sec and i'll just kind of give a bit of an update on some things for this series i guess like i said the 11th um is two weeks from today I guess, yeah, and the, the 4th of July is a week from today. That seems kind of strange, but uh, we, yeah, so I guess we have, um, if I can read my own handwriting, 
It's Lita Neuhauser, um, Hannah Rodebaugh, and Joplin Morgan on the 11th. And then we're on a few days later on a Tuesday on Bastille Day. We have Jodine Revere and um, Daphne Stanford. So that's coming up. And like Tracy Lee said to begin with, um, there is a tip jar. There's a few of us out there. But if you want to contribute, that would be wonderful. Um, and you can just get get a hold of the StoryForward staff for future stuff if you want to support StoryForward, the garden staff, and um, for such things. And, yeah, we're kind of keeping keeping things rolling with StoryForward, doing this um, for a fun, safe, socially distanced uh, reading series. We also have a podcast ourselves. We started putting out uh, at the beginning of the year on a weekly basis called StoryForward Presents um, Voices of Treefort Music Fest. So it encompasses many aspects of the, the music fest and uh, what we do with StoryForward and this guy in the mask behind me, Brett. Battistain runs was one of the people who runs a studio called Ease E A S E Drop, um, and you can find some really fantastic podcasts at their network. Um, and he's very generous to let us use his PA too. So, all right, Heidi, you're here. Um, here comes Heidi Cray, who is a friend and of, of myself and of StoryForward and of just the arts community in, in Boise, and also a CCC recipient. I'll let you explain it after I do your intro, and you're going to be reading and kind of performing from that project, as I understand it, but um, let me just tell you a little bit about the awesomeness of Heidi Cray. So, uh, Playwright, writer, and theater maker, Heidi Cray examines the connection between brain and body, seeking empathy with fractured characters. Plays include In the Dark, How to Hide Your Monster, New Eden, and Kilgore, as well as co-devised plays, one-acts, plays for young audiences, and short plays. Her work has been presented in Boise, regionally, in NYC, and internationally, most recently through Tomosuro Players, um, Thingamajig, theater company, okay, um, and the Alternative Theater Company in New York City. And Heidi holds an MFA from California Institute of Integral Studies and is a member of the Dramatist Guild of America. And you can find out more at www.heidicray with two A's in a Y.com. So go for it, Heidi. All right. Thanks. Can you hear me okay, everybody? Great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Christian. Thanks to StoryFort and the amazing gardens we're in. And thank you to the CCC Fund, of course, that makes this possible and that we can work from as artists. It's really great. And of course, to Joel and Kay for reading. That was wonderful. I also want to mention and thank my sister, Kate Cray, who's not here, uh, because I've been working on this piece with her, this play, for the last year or so before it started become a, becoming a play uh, in the very early stages of it. And, and now, ever since we... Uh, we had to change all of our gears. It's turned into a, a solo written play, much more about where we are here and now, but it's still very much our project. So I'll be reading three scenes from Unwind Hindsight is 2020, and I'll be doing my best to read the parts of five characters as one person, so thanks for bearing with me. Scene six, the liminal space. The women in their individual home cells, sheltering in place, having just finished washing their hands. Hani lets out one more cough. 
How to survive a pandemic in isolation, or not quite isolation, just you and your baby, or not isolated at all, you and your whole family, and before that, all your roommates, unable to remember the last time you were alone. How to survive a pandemic. Open your eyes. Learn to use Zoom. Listen to breath, yoga, lots of yoga. Tell yourself your coughs are allergies. Don't go to the doctor. Wash hands 36 times a day. Forget to take breaks. Remember not to forget to take breaks. Crunch sugar between sighs. Decide to eat better. Wonder if you're feeling chilled. Call your mom every day. Your mom who lives in the nursing home. The same nursing home that's been in the news. Listen to the worry underneath her well-bred positivity. Feel triggered all the time and also at peace all this quiet time, but not really quiet because you're not alone and might never be again. Wash hands 136 times a day. Forget the pain of constipation. Remember to go outside. Embrace the fog in your brain. Get lost online all day. Where did lunch breaks go? Where did the day go? Breathe shaky. Breathe deep. Live on your computer. Tell yourself... Thank God for a partner who keeps home fires burning. Wonder if the fog is indeed a fever. Cook massive meals for one. Instant pot, instant pot, everything. Jump in space. Pet your cat 500 times a day. Feel the sweat you try to make on your yoga mat. Lysol the counters till the Lysol runs out. Wish you sweat more, then realize that's good. Less chance for infection to spread. Sweat on your pillow. Wash hands 336 times a day. Realize you never had Lysol anyway, just some kind of natural cleaner that doesn't really clean, does it? Just like your mother always said. Plan meals. Read about your rival's success on social media and obsess about him. Count your bottles and containers and foodstuffs. Feel all the feelings again and again and obsess over the fact that you're a has-been who never was, which isn't really a fact, but does that matter anymore? Wonder if you caused this with all the stories you wrote on pre-present post-apocalypse in your fiction class last semester. Make a list of all the things you're going to do with your mom when you see her in person. Walk your dog. Crack your jaw. Rub a headache. Turn off the radio, the podcasts, internet news. Check lists of symptoms online. Grow a garden. Grow a cactus. Figure out what happens when bandwidth dies. Grow oranges. Out your belly button. You can't grow oranges in Idaho. Remember how to make bread. Get the call you were holding your breath for, but not waiting for. A call from the home. Lose control. Feed the cat. Stay inside. Do laundry, but not too much. Use soap, but not too much. Wash hands 3,336 times a day and coat your hands with cocoa butter and then break the glass tub. Smash it into pieces on the fake linoleum because you can't go see your mom who's sick and old and... But try not to waste. Make masks. Yell at the news coming out of the radio. Blink eyes open. Honey coughs. Keep moving. Check your temperature. Remember our leaders could have prevented this. Stay in contact. Decide you you never wanted to be a scientist anyway. Maybe you'll go into commercial real estate when all this is over. If this ever gets over, write a schedule. Ignore the schedule. Stay in bed. Rewrite a schedule. Keep a schedule some of the time. 
let yourself sleep in most of the time. Stay patient. Close the refrigerator door. Gear up for the long haul. Keep talking, breathing, being. Get the call you really didn't want to get. Wake up with a cat on your chest. Go pee and brush your teeth after looking at your phone too long. Feed the cat and empty the dishwasher. Drink tea and take your vitamins. Water your houseplants. Eat an egg in the sunshine streaming into your kitchen window. Call your mom. Call your partner stuck in another city. Then go make a dinner that is way too huge for one person. Try to keep from drinking too much as you troll for shows to watch. How much is too much? Watch Bill Murray comedies. Start watching Groundhog Day, but remember you watched it yesterday. Or did you? Is today yesterday? Take a bath. Floss your teeth while bathing. Lie in bed and listen to an audiobook so you don't have to be alone with your thoughts. Dream about coughing and washing your hands. Get up at 2 or 3 a.m. and go pee. Then drink water and go back to sleep and wake up at 7, then 8, and then 9. And try not to look at your phone this time. All the bad news blasting your head awake anyway. Get up and do it all again. Don't think about your research. Don't think about your brother getting ahead and how you lost all ambition. Don't think about the news and the death count and the election and now another black man murdered by police and another and a woman and threats against your Asian friends and more rights stripping from women and LGBTQ and 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 all you should be doing to help and every petition, donation, statement, article, protest is only scratching the surface. Don't think about the future that this is the rest of our lives except this is the best it'll be from here on out and now is the beginning of the end of humanity of the world as we know it and how fine you don't feel and how you'll never finish your life's important work and all you'll ever be known for is that once you tried for something and didn't get it but then after everyone you know dies which could happen sooner than you ever thought no one will remember you at all you or the rest of your species don't think about how you're not feeling well and your temp is high but not that high it can't be that high the thermometer must be broken and all that thinking and not thinking terrifies you and you still can't sleep and she coughs and coughs and coughs. A still moment. Quiet. Too quiet. What if we're the bad guys and it's good riddance to us when we're gone? A physical moment of crisis from each woman, followed by, what's that? Is that a couldn't be not here? Quinn? It's an earthquake. All five women in their isolated quarters feel it come on slow and then fast, watching the ground shake and the windows grabbing on for walls, for something steady, watching armoires and bookshelves quiver and fall, hearing glass break, feeling this solid thing underfoot liquefy as they dance, the earthquake dance, reach out arms between a doorway and try to stay on their two feet. They can gasp, shout, blabber, blubber, repeat, improvise text here. After thir 20, 30 seconds, almost too long, it stops. Quiet, stillness, silence. They feel their breath, survey their spaces, locking eyes with the audience. Maybe to someone they live with, maybe to a neighbor, maybe to us. Did you feel that? Honey on her phone, same gesture, picking it up as before, scene one, the other women follow suit. Hi, yawn, hi, I, 
Sorry. I wanted to say I'm proud of you. I read about your latest findings. Grandpa would be so proud. We just had an earthquake. Are you all right? Yeah, I'm okay. I... <coughs> Not great. I've never quite felt like this. I think maybe I should get tested, but... I'm okay. No. Yeah, I'm okay. Here is a transition, something in sound and lights and in each of the women themselves. As the women leave their isolated spaces and their humanity, their mortality, aging into ancient permanence and enduring unity, we see them transform into one singular giant, the earth. Their transformation is magical, both simple and beyond comprehension, instantaneous and eternal. Part three, voices from the earth, scene seven. This moment, both now and eternal, always, forever, all moments, past, present, future, in one. The earth speaks as a chorus, each individual voice heard in its distinct range. Sometimes a singular voices speak alone or above the group. This scene can allow more space between words, more movement, music. The earth speaks with a much slower, enduring quality. She has all the time in the world. She is the world. She has all the time in the solar system. This is a warning. Earlier this spring, in our northern hemisphere, in a moment you call Saturday, March 21st, your Pope Francis called everyone to a moment of recollection, no matter their creed, religion, or where they live, for the healing of the world, the whole planet united in prayer. I hear this was seen on the internet platform Facebook by billions of viewers. What you ask for, Pope, is a healing of your people, not of me, not of us. We need more than that. It is time to let go. If you cannot, I will. We will. We have done it before, what you call mass extinctions, our miscarriages. More than 99% of our organisms who ever lived are gone forever. I love them all as I love you, but humans, you think yourselves so special, important. Let me tell you, I am tired, very tired and hot. Talk about menopause. I don't need this. Worse is knowing it's your own children making you sick. I am tired of coughing and aching and the fires and the smoke and the melt. You eviscerate my precious babies. You give me asthma. After so long sweltering, my reactions are impossible to manage. I used to try. Here it would be lovely for the earth through movement, sound, visual display, or other means to show each of these events, extinctions, as though they are happening right now, as though she and we are experiencing them in real time. After losing the graptolites, my first sea babies, I tried resisting the inevitable. When the great dying ended nearly all my life and me with it, I knew it was not up to me. 
the more I try to get in fate's way, the star's way, the more I end up like Mars. I would soon lose the trilobites, conodonts, ammonites, and of course, the dinosaurs. And you? I put such hope in you like a fool, like waiting up all night for a man to send kind words witnessing your violence, feeling your rage directed on me, hoping for something different this time, this century, this eon. I lost our Neanderthals as my magnet spun, ice ages and drought, flood, plague. But mostly you handled your own dying, ages of war, genocide, evisceration. Yet still, here you thrive, you multiply, you weigh me down. You kill billions year after year, another species ravage, gone every minute while you infect me like cancer. Still, I love you all the same. Stupid is a mother's love when her children are raging sociopaths, certain this world was made for you. I was not. Even so, even though I no longer try to stop the devastation, I do my best to warn you as I share my life with you. I want you to see how bad it can get. Use your impressive imagination. This plague is the beginning. You bring an onslaught the longer you live. I do not wish to destroy you, but I will to save the rest. Or rather, you will, digging your own graves. You are only a speck, all seven billion of you. Ants outweigh you. Sharks outlast you. Clams outlive you. Listen. Smell that. Since the virus, my air is clearing. You know it. You report it. Embrace the clean air. When this trouble passes for you, hundreds of thousands of human lives later, that will not be time to return to normal. There is no more normal. Slow down. Be with me. Let that be your normal. Quiet your urges. Stop your mad constant go, go, go. Or, as your researchers predict, you will look back on this virus with nostalgia as the good old days. And when you're gone, everyone will forget about you. My new babies will build homes on your graves. Listen to me. Finally listen or disappear. The dragon is coming. The women and the earth transform into starlight. Scene eight. Each woman is an individual star together a constellation we watch them transform they address us directly the stars speak with more duration than the earth even they have all the time in the universe panic produces panic calm brings calm in order to get through the end we need collective calm we means all of us we ask you to close your eyes. You are safe. If closing eyes feels impossible, scary, hold them soft at your knees. 
Be in your own space. Go inside. Notice your breath. No need to breathe in any particular way. Notice how air fills you and leaves you. How you don't have to do anything. Notice thoughts flying past. Observe them like strangers at an airport, like starlight at night. The first one out, the bright one shooting through sky, not really a star, you know that, but you want it to be. A reaching black canvas of fireflies. You want us to fall beside you, wrap you up with wishes, let you know it's all right. It's all right, or it is, as it always is. Focus on the small things, your breath, patches of light and dark and colors behind your eyelids, the texture of cloth and skin at your knees. Now let your breath get big, deep inhale until you might burst. Then sip in one more drop of air. Hold it at the top one small moment and let it out slow, slow as hair grows, as continents move, as stars fade. Repeat that. Deep breath in. Hold it. Let it out slow. Empty your lungs one more time. Breathe in deep, the deepest so far. Hold all the way out. Sit in this place a moment. Embrace. Give yourself a hug. Find a small smile. Be eternal everywhere. Open your eyes. Bring your face up. Turn to your neighbor. Thank them for staying calm. Really, tell them. Turn to your other neighbor. Tell them it's going to be all right. Go ahead. Turn to someone else. Smile at them. Make eye contact. Let them smile back. Absorb their smile. If you can't make eye contact, smile at the back of their head. It's going to be okay. Going to be what it'll be. We'll all get through this together. Thank you for staying calm. The women begin to part from interconnected intergalactic unity. They find human forms in some distance from each other, but no longer isolated apart. They are coming together in a shared present moment under the same roof. They look all up all at once as though hearing and seeing something terrible that we don't see. They look at each other and then exit in a hurry. Music, sound, and lights usher in disaster. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Heidi. That thanks. was so great. Oh, thanks. So one more round of applause, please, for Heidi Cray. Um, 
our final performer um, for the day. But um, that was wonderful. It was very cool that the three readings were very distinct from each other. And as far as just obviously genre, but just kind of approach, you, you took a pretty dead eye look at this pandemic right, and right. the social unrest, the state of the world. Um, just a couple questions. Well, first of all, I guess, trying to picture it on stage like performed mm. so there's five women but then there's kind of a voiceover and it's, or no so what you're how hearing that, the other the other look? stuff is the stage directions you wouldn't you wouldn't hear those or see that you would see those being done right but there's five women or women identifying or non-binary characters that are on stage and uh, they're all of different ages and when we started working on this project my sister and I it was a it was a project and it still is about how humans and stress and and the earth are both affected by stress and how they're connected that way and how they can have an, a, have a relationship in that way as we're looking into this this time we're looking into and then it all started becoming much more true yes yeah. <laughs> you know, gotta go home and watch the news and find out the new yeah. new but um so I'm curious. That's that's interesting. Um, not being something written a stage play per se, but like the last stage direction, read that really quickly again because that's kind of there's something to that. And I wonder how a director or a producer yeah. would sort of take yeah, that. Yeah, the on. last chunk or. Yeah, the women begin to part from interconnected, intergalactic unity. They find human forms in some distance from each other, but no longer isolated apart. They are coming together in a shared moment under the same roof. They look up all at once as though hearing and seeing something terrible that we don't see. They look at each other and then exit in a hurry. Music, sound, and lights usher in disaster. Yeah, a lot of this this play has been we've been in conversation with a team that we were going to be devising this as a group together and then taking it to London this summer, which didn't happen, of course. And uh, and so it became a solo written play, but I really want to still make a lot of space for people to, to do a lot of things in movement and music if we ever get to perform live again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting because it's, yeah, there's a lot of sort of... Uh... I don't know if I want to call it editorializing, but I will. But it's almost like your the author's voice, you, um, is really in there, like usher in disaster. What I, yeah. What do you do with that then? Like on stage, yeah, I mean, you hand that to a really great directors <laughs> and designers, and, and you trust them, and then you talk to them if you feel like it could be different. But it's it's their job too, right? So, it's any kind of playwriting is uh, is very collaborative, right? So we're working. This is the beginning. This is the very the skeleton, and then everything after that is what they do with this blueprint, right? And also this this one has an interesting moment of like there are very different transformations, as you can see and different parts in different times so this isn't the very end there's another that another part of it that will go into the deeper future so there's a lot that it weighs on designers okay well that's fantastic um i can't wait to see it performed (laughs) and it'll be really interesting i mean this is obviously just sort of uh, an archive in a certain way right now but it's going to be kind of just because it's your writing and emotions and experiences that are you know washing the hands Mm -hmm. petting the cat all the stuff um that um is real life right now but it'll be interesting you don't have to answer this it's just my musing but just like what it'll be like five years from now yeah we've thought about that we're all still here and you'll see it or 
and I don't know. I think it'll be very curious for your process. You know, that'll right. be really cool. So yeah, yeah. You took it on. What's the title again? Unwind. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Okay. Coming yeah. To so it was meant to <laughs> yeah. be produced this year, but awesome. we'll see if the title changes. Yeah. Right. Well, thanks so much. That's all we have time for now. But yeah, just spread the word. We got a few people out today. We'd love to, you know, keep getting more. And, you know, this is a beautiful space. And we got, like I said before, a great, you know, weather. We got cloud cover for our friend Allison Meyer over here, who's not a fan of the hot. Um, But uh, thanks so much um, for coming out. And I don't know. Go forth, prosper as much as you can, and we'll see you um, in a couple weeks here. And, uh, yeah, enjoy. And take a look around the garden, too. You're welcome to stay as long as you'd like. All right, Story Fort and Tree Fort people, there you have it. That's our episode. That was Bloom, a safe summer reading series that we're putting on out at the Idaho Botanical Garden. And you can get tickets at the Idaho Botanical Garden's website, um, and you can just, you know, inquire about things at our story at treefortmusicfest.com email. We'll tell you all about what's upcoming and how cool it's going to be. We want to thank Eavesdrop Studios, E-A-S-E-Drop.com is their website, and you can find out more about this podcast and many other others in their network. And we hope you're doing well. We want to thank Up Is The Down Is The for the awesome theme music. We want to thank Tree Fort Music Fests. We want to thank all of you. So be safe, be well, and someday soon we shall see you at the fest. Take care. Tomorrow never came